right, thank you for listening to the My Age podcast, a podcast that brings you conversations with people from all walks of life using music to plot a map from their early years to how they got to where they are now. Uh, welcome, first-time listeners, casual listeners, long-time listeners, die-hard listeners, all kinds of listeners. Thank you for hanging out. Uh, thanks for taking the time to check out the podcast. It's always appreciated. Uh, today's guest, Josiah Hughes. Uh, if you're Australian, you probably aren't aware of the name. If you're Canadian, you may know him as the editor or an editor, sorry, at exclaim.com or exclaim.ca, it probably is actually. Uh, and if you're an obsessive uh, not mid-90s pop-punk fan like me, you'd know him from the Blink-155 podcast or Blink-155 podcast. He plays in a band called Prenup with his wife, uh... And they have a new album coming out on May the 4th called Oh Well via Debt Offensive and Jigsaw Records. And I'll post a link uh, where you can hear it. But basically, if you type prenup.bandcamp.com into the Googles, you should be able to find it. Uh, if you listen to this on the long weekend, that, on the weekend that comes out, which is actually the long weekend, please drive safe. The roads are fucking terrible this time of the year and it double demerits and whatnot. So, yeah, quick intro, long episode. Uh, hope you enjoy it. Kill. My Age Podcast, episode, I'm going to say it's 17, but I might be completely wrong. Um, my guest today is, hands down, one of, my, one of the members of my favorite podcast, uh, the Blink One Five Five podcast, or Blink One Fifty Five podcast, and his name is Josiah Hughes. What's up? Hello. Thank you for having me. All the way from Canada. Yeah, it's, I flew to Australia to hang out with you today. You're making the big bucks on that Patreon game, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. So I just I figured, you know what, put it to good use. I've never been to yeah. Australia. I have to fly right back home to be back at work on Monday, but I think it's worth we're, it. We're pretty much sitting at a Starbucks in the airport. Yeah, exactly. To do this, so I every time you say anything, I'm gonna want to ask an ignorant question, like, "Oh, you have Starbucks in Australia?" Feel free to, <laughs> feel free. Hey, look, when I'm I was sure your young, listeners I, will love that. No, when I was when I was young, I went to Hawaii and I asked a, a local Hawaii person if they had refrigerators <laughs> because I thought that was unique to Australia, and I asked if they had, you know, how you get like wax in your eye, like sleep. Yeah, I asked if they had that because that's what I thought was—I thought it was unique to Australia. So feel, look, right. I'm the—I'm the king of ignorant questions. So feel free to ask yeah. away. Well, when I was a little kid too, I lived in Scotland for a little while, um, for like four years. When I was like, uh, I don't remember. Actually, I think I might have picked the wrong timelines for my songs based on remembering this. But I lived in Scotland for like four or five years when I was very little, like uh, starting primary school. And people over there would ask me, like, oh, in Canada, do you have hamburgers? You know, it's like, yeah, dude, we invented hamburgers, basically. Yeah. Well, it's America a, did. It's North America yeah. did, yeah. So yeah. you're born in, born in Canada? Mm-hmm. Whereabouts? Uh, I was born in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Okay. Um, which is sort of kind of, it's kind of like the uh, Midwest of Canada, like the flyover area. Yeah. Um, so I was born there, and then uh, we lived in Scotland for a while. My my all my relatives are Scottish, so we lived there where my dad did his PhD over there. Okay, PhD in in um like religious studies, like uh, Old wow. Testament Bible study kind of. Yeah, he like he knows how to like read Hebrew and stuff. 
He's like a, he's really smart with that kind of stuff. And then we moved to Vancouver after, and now I've wound up in Alberta, which is just one province uh, east of Vancouver. But yeah. pretty much my formative years were spent in Vancouver. Um. So what? What's he? Does he? Did he use his PhD to actually like? What do you do with a PhD with that kind of PhD? Like, work wise. Uh, he was a professor at a at a university for a really long time doing like religious studies. Um, okay. And now my parents are actually pastors. So they're like full on a very churchy family that I grew up in. Um, does that flow onto you? Like, are you very religious or? Uh, I'm not like very religious. Like I don't like, okay. I don't like go to church or anything, but I'm not also not like not religious. You know what I mean? Okay. I think I, I think it's sort of given me a unique perspective on life because I've, I kind of like, I get it, but I also get why people don't like religion, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I completely understand. I grew up going to like a, going to church, Sunday school until I was about 12. And then one day I went, I don't think I need to do this anymore. If God's omnipotent, then uh, I don't need <laughs> yeah. to be here. I mean, doesn't yeah. that, you don't have to be so bored all the time, right? Like it's probably the opposite Correct. of what he wants. <laughs> you can, you can kind of party every once in a while. <laughs> yeah. So you're the oldest of three? I am, yeah. I guess the th- the weird thing is I've already sort of done my whole... If you've listened to my podcast, then you probably feel like you know me already, which is a very strange feeling. Yeah. But I like it too because a lot of my friends will be like, I feel like I've been hanging out with you, so I, I can just like not hang out with them anymore. I just yeah, sort of, I've, ex- I've monetized my friendship. That's fantastic. That's a good way to do it. <laughs> yeah. All righty. So... Um, what were your yeah? What were your parents listening to, like when that when kind of you were born, and what were they listening to prior to that when they were younger? Yeah. So my dad, uh, prior to like becoming, my dad's always been very very smart, but he was like a real problem child in high school, and so was his sister. Uh, and so growing up in Winnipeg, they were really into like um, like really into like drugs, and also really into like prog music. Okay. So they were really into like, um, I don't know, early Genesis and early like, uh, I can tell my dad because he was also really advanced at piano lessons. He was really into like chops and being good at your instrument and stuff and lots of like really sort of like crazy time signatures and crazy um, stuff like that. And then he was also, I guess, like this is just something I always forget about, but I guess he was in an early band with the members of that band crash test dummies. Cause they were from Winnipeg originally. So was he was really? like, yeah. So he's in a band with those guys and he played like synths and he collected synths and, um, just like, yeah, I don't know. He's just like really into, I guess he sort of described it, which I've really related to too, is that he felt like he was born too late. I think everyone feels like that as an adolescent, you, right? But he, he always he felt like, like, yeah, you, yeah. Like, sorry, go on. If you if you're a certain kind of kid, you feel like you don't really belong in your your own generation because I'm sure, and, and you missed it by five five to ten years. Yeah, exactly. So he was really into like um, classic rock as well, whereas I think his contemporaries were probably into disco. I don't know. I, I feel like whenever my dad talks about his childhood, I picture freaks and geeks, but taking place in in uh, the middle of Canada. Yeah. So I don't know. He was yeah. And um I know there was this kid at his high school who was like in the Kiss Army and there was this okay. other kid that hated the Kiss Army and would always make fun of him. And then the kid like uh came into school one day with a sawed-off shotgun and like shot the kid who made fun of him. 
And so there was like an actual school shooting shooting over the topic of kiss at my dad's high school. And then it was on the cover of the Winnipeg newspaper and my dad was smoking out front of the school and his parents found out that he smoked from the newspaper. <laughs> There's a lot to unpack there. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's, there really so is. okay, without sounding too morbid, is the kid okay? Was the kid okay? Oh no, he like he like he straight up killed a kid over kiss in my dad's school. So someone from the So that's like so you think like you think that you're a Blink One Eighty Two fan, but like would you kill for Blink One Eighty Two? I mean, look, it depends how it depends how brutal it got. Like when when they when they start when they start mocking um California. Oh yeah. Yeah. I should clarify that I'm actually I'm actually not at your house right now, thank God. No, that's true. Because I can tell you've got some rage beneath the surface related to California. we're going to get to that. Don't worry. We're going to get to that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I couldn't believe it either. And and then the funny thing was when I was in high school in Abbotsford outside of Vancouver, where, where I guess I say I grew up in Vancouver, but it was really about an hour east of there in a really shitty place called Abbotsford. But there was a kid in my school who was obsessed with KISS who would we would always get on each other's nerves and I feel like I kept I would always think back to this story and be like oh maybe I shouldn't make fun of this kid too much yeah those Kiss Army Army kids are fucking crazy (laughs) apparently yeah so how do you um you said this is this is always weird not weirding me out but you said your dad was into drugs and you yeah I guess your auntie was into drugs as well when did that come when did you find out about that like and how do you have a conversation with your parents well, it was, like- yeah, um, my dad was like, uh, he has like all kinds of amazing stories. I guess they're not really my stories to tell, but you know, a lot of yep. stories that just sound like dazed and confused or something like a lot of like his buddy was staying over who was an acid dealer. And then my grandpa was a pastor and he was very conservative and straight laced. And he, uh, he was like, oh, there's a weird pill. There's a weird pill, uh, canister in my friend's, uh, in my son's friend's backpack, I wonder what this is. And he like did what you would do to like taste it, you know, but he accidentally yeah. took acid. <laughs> so it's like, it's like old pastor man, like tripped fucking balls for about 24 hours. And I mean, they'll, they'll all tell us that now. Basically what happened was my dad then came back to God and cleaned up his life and went to school and got this PhD. And he's very intelligent and like, act, like he's not, my, he's a very he sort of has approached Christianity and his beliefs from a very intelligent perspective and very academic mixed with it's not just like it's not just bullshit that you see on TV or whatever. So um, he then would actually come to my youth group when I was a kid and like tell these stories about being like a drug, a cocaine and acid user and yeah. all of his wild adventures. And I feel like the people at the church used to get worried because he, he would make the stories sound so fun. <laughs> like these yes, stories of so stealing cars and sneaking into like Led Zepp or I don't know if it was Led Zepp. No, some other like sneaking into concerts and stealing cars and just like wreaking havoc on Winnipeg. It sounded really fun. So I guess that was why. That's insane. It sounds fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Like in a, in a do as I say, not as I did kind of thing. Right. Exactly. Um, cool. Yeah, and it, that was like kind of a helpful thing for me actually because I've never really been into drugs at all, and I feel like my because my dad was like so open about it, it explained to me why that stuff can be like I don't know. I feel like he did it for me, and so that I don't have to. <laughs> yeah, that's look. Dad took one for the team. 
Yeah, exactly. But yeah, so really, that's why I picked this song, Yes, Fragile, because I really feel like my musical taste has sort of like been a reverse musical education because I started from a place of like my dad really cared about playing and like chops and interesting, unique things. And it was never just like dumbing it down or, you know, as I've gotten older, I've definitely enjoyed dumber, more caveman sounding music. Um, but I started off at a place of like thinking about chops and thinking about skill. And then you, you, you are it degraded from there kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, I feel like I remember my dad listening to a lot of prog and a lot of like cool classic rock. And then he also did appreciate alternative music a lot at the time. And he actually showed me a BBC documentary about punk because he was also really obsessed with U2 and U2 were in this like BBC documentary about punk. And that was like a really life changing thing for me just to like see the Sex Pistols or whatever (laughs) dumb shit when I was like, I don't know, like before I was 10 for sure. Um, so yeah. he was he was just very open minded and and really like absorbed all kinds of music and we had the Columbia House CD program, so I don't know it was like instead of just sort of having an older brother or whatever I had my dad like showing me all kinds of stuff but I definitely like started off listening to very complicated music.
Is this something you still listen to nowadays? Like, does it ever get a run, or it was just a time and place when you were younger? Or, I think you know, there this. I just remember this song being like a big hit that was around all the time back then. But then, I, definitely, I did go through like a little prog phase a few years ago, maybe like ten years ago, when I got like uh, actually longer than ten years ago, maybe like fifteen years ago, when I was really addicted to. Um, soul seek and like downloading stuff i would just download like massive prog albums because that's really like and that's what makes me feel old too is like i feel like whenever you talk about young people today then you sound old <laughs> yeah. but i do feel like young people have this advantage where like you can just become an expert on a genre in an afternoon whereas when we were when when i assume you as well like it was it was harder to have access to things it was harder to know what to check out but um yeah, I remember like revisiting a bunch of prog stuff, and then eventually you just get really tired of it, and you just want to listen to something stupid. But something, yeah, disposable. 
But what speaks to me about this kind of music, especially, is the bass playing. I love like really attacky, sort of loud, intense bass playing where it's very melodic and almost being played like a guitar. And that'll that you'll probably notice that pops up again in the other songs I picked. But um, the bass playing really stands out to me, and I think I've always I've always loved that kind of bass playing, and I think it might trace back to stuff like this. It's definitely not. It's definitely not subtle. Like it's it's one of those things where everyone's at the front of the everyone's at the front of the I guess soundscape kind of thing. Like every yeah, everyone's just as prominent as everyone else. Yeah, and I, and I think I still have always liked that. I've just loved like maximalism and and just yeah. I feel like if I don't know. I, I guess I always have this debate in my in my head about because you know the Ramones have talked about how they always would play to twenty five percent of their ability, and that's why people love them so much because they're there's like that effortless cool that they have, which I also appreciate. And I like that yeah. with bands like the strokes too, but I also, there's sometimes it's really fun. And especially when I was younger, I was really into like just everyone playing at once as crazy as possible all the yeah. time. Everybody's solo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like I, I, I know that's really wanky and annoying to some people, but I really loved that. And yeah, so like that was kind of my framework at first. And then when I was like, I mean, I'm kind of jumping ahead. We'll still, we should talk about the middle phase, but to jump ahead a little bit, um, yep. when I was like probably 13 or 14, I started my first ever band with my friends and it was like a high concept Godspeed You Black Emperor style sort of thing. Like it was like very like, it was Jesus. me, tr it was me trying to be very smart and cool. But then since then I've just appreciated more and more like there's something beautiful about stupidity. And that's also why it's I love Blink-182. Hence the one five five podcast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. See. Um. So you you started you started uh, pro, uh, primary school in Scotland. Was there much yeah. of a shift? Like, was it a shift musically there? Like, was there were they behind their times, or you weren't really kind of? I, I feel sure like about the times. The, the funny thing is, I was too young to really appreciate it. Um, what was going on around me, but I do. Looking back now, and also like for, as some context, so I I went to I think kindergarten in um, in Winnipeg, and then we moved to Scotland, and then I started grade one, primary one there, and I remember everyone like just making fun of me nonstop for having a Canadian accent, and it, yeah. it also like where we lived was sort of like a very it was right on the edge of a very low income neighborhood, so we my school was actually like just super like low income like salt of the earth like like very like i don't know i just remember everyone feeling very mean and very like their life was an uphill battle so i was bullied a lot but then then i developed a scottish accent so they'd stop bullying me but then by the time i had a scottish accent we moved back to canada so i had to just go through it all over again yeah capital again yeah <laughs> yeah but i do remember like especially now with like because i pay attention to new music and new pop culture and i'm i'm not necessarily like grossed out by the concept of what's hip. Like I still pay attention to like trends and whatnot. It, it, I'm okay with it, but I've noticed now that like everyone really loves like nineties rave culture and just like the nineties are back in such a huge way. And it, yeah. everyone is dressed exactly like what I remember people being dressed like in Scotland in the mid nineties when I lived there. So I feel like when I was I there at an important time. I remember people having a lot of like happy faces on their t-shirts and I wanted, I always wanted these like cartoon happy face t-shirts or like Fred Flintstone shirts, but they were all drug related. And my dad was like, you're not getting that. You're in like grade one. He's, you can't he's wear like an X, you can't wear a, a, yeah. a t-shirt with ecstasy on it. Yeah, that's 
Good parenting. That's fantastic parenting. Well, but yeah, I mean, imagine like being a little kid and just seeing like Fred Flintstone smoking a, do- a joint. You don't know what he's doing. And you're like, I no. want a Fred Flintstone shirt. I want to be like, so. yeah. I like, <laughs> yeah. I like the Flintstones. That's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, but I don't remember like listening to music really in Scotland. I think we did a little bit. It's just, especially back then, like Britain truly even more so than like like all of us didn't have access to the internet obviously but then even more so like in britain there was only three or four channels i don't know like is there was there a lot of channels in australia when you were a kid or i I just feel like coming to america everyone always had like even having like 20 channels i thought was ridiculous and decadent because we just either watch like bbc one or channel four so so like the concept of um the concept of cable tv kind of came in about late-ish 90s, like say 96 to 98, somewhere there kind of thing. Right. Um, And prior to that, it was, uh, prior to that, we had five channels. Yeah. Yeah. And and two of of them were government subsidized or government funded slash government subsidized. Um, And then three were commercial TV show, TV channels. Um, so did you watch uh, Neighbours? That's the only Australian TV show I can think of from back yeah, then. So but I think we got that in Scotland too. Yeah, Neighbours. So the two big TV shows that were obviously big here, but for whatever reason, massive in the UK. I guess it was because they regretted their choices of staying in the UK and they, should, they <laughs> wish their ancestors had been criminals and sent out here. Um, were Neighbours was the one of the big ones. And then the almost like a rebuttal to that from a different network was called Home and Away. And oh, that's so vaguely home, familiar. Yeah, Home and Away was set like they were clever. Like Neighbours was great because it was Australian suburbia. Uh, home and Away was clever, more clever as a marketing, I guess, as a marketing concept because it was set in a beachside town. So not only did it display just you know Australian lifestyles, but it also got to throw in massive, you know, big scenes of the, like always had scenes of the beach and the bushland and that kind of thing. So it's sort of like a tourism, tourism yeah, thing? Yeah, but it wasn't, it wasn't done as a, it wasn't done as like a, in conjunction with tourism. Right. It was just like, if we offer this, we think more people will watch because. Probably the, probably some secret government agency decided maybe that they should do that. They just, they uh, blackwatered some money into it and. <laughs> Just from their secret coffers, yeah, and just that's threw money like a, I mean, actually, I guess oh, I feel like such a such a dork talking about such obvious things, but I remember Crocodile Dundee being huge to me when I was a kid too. Yeah, no, and then well, this like Danny too, McBride yeah. thing that they just did seemed so dumb. Like, did you see this? They did like a fake Dude, sequel. I loved it. I, I didn't get it. it. Like, why don't like? I feel like all that effort they should have just made the movie. Well. It took me a few goes to work. Look, I mean, I know they kind of say it, but I was like, maybe, maybe the joke is that this is an ad, but they're really working on it as well. Yeah, like it was, a, it was a long form joke, like where you didn't get the you, the whole punchline hasn't been delivered yet, and the movie will come out. Right. Well, you but know, I the lo- problem for yeah. me is that I think that I think that because of like Hollywood's union rules and stuff, they always give away jokes by accident because so i'd exclaim i like run the film section and i was like oh should i do a news story about this film so i looked it up on imdb and then it, it immediately said australian tourism ad like right, on the okay. imdb so i don't know i feel like they've just kind of shot themselves in the foot a little bit 
they just yeah don't want to get to people too excited. Yeah. Uh, while I'm name dropping uh, Australian stuff, I really like the it. song Smoko that seems to be viral around the world. Yes. Yes. And it's um. It's yeah. I love it because I can't tell how much of a joke it is or not. It reminds me of this American band called Mean Jeans, where it's yep, like yep. it's like so stupid but also so cool and good that it's just kind of the perfect. It's like that's just my vibe. Absolutely, is just like things that are really dumb but also really cool. It might, it might bite me. I don't, I don't know the guys. I don't like they. They come from a different state. Um, I think you guys use a different. What, you, you use province, don't you? We in Canada, it's provinces. Yeah, yeah. So they come from a different province or state. Um, I saw it and thought, this is too. It's 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 too weird to be to not be con- contrived. That's right. my thought on it. Like okay, that's like, fair. And you know that sometimes yeah. stuff like that is lost in translation too, right? Yeah, very much so. Because also I've noticed that I can watch a, a indie movie that if the dialogue is spoken in English, it seems really cheesy. But as soon as you speak it in French or something, and I can't tell yep. the intonation and whatnot, then it hides the the corniness. So yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I thought it was kind of like a like um. What are the other? Oh fuck, I can't think. Is Total Control Australian? That band? If if they are, I've never heard of them. Okay, well yeah, I th- I feel like that's the other thing is that I, well yeah we can keep going, but I feel like um through this Blink One Eighty Two no, podcast, sorry they are Australian. I've never heard of them, but they are Australian. Oh yeah, like they're really cool, and a lot of there's a lot of bands surrounding that band that are like so cool. That I, I I get the feeling that I I don't know I want to learn more about punk and hardcore from Australia. I feel like there's yeah. a lot to dig into, and it's sort of like viewed with it's seen as like legendary from certain people in North America. There yeah, there's definitely are there is a there is a wave of um bands that if they were if they were in North America like I'm just having a look at the um Total Control wiki page now, and it says Associated Acts Eddie Current Suppression Ring. Right. Um, yes. Exactly. And, that's the kind of band that, you know, they could have. Yeah, so it's ex or it's members or ex members of Eddie Current Suppression Ring. Um, if if they had been in North America, they would have been, they would have been monstrous, and sh- and you know by all rights should be monstrous, but we just don't have the population. We definitely don't have the population to sustain that kind of band, right? Um, and we're too far away to make touring like a, a constant touring machine out of a band viable. Yeah. But like, that, I, in my opinion, that makes them so much cooler. Like I, I love yeah. the sort of, this sort of almost massive band. Like, I mean, those, those two bands are like cult bands yeah. around the world. And I think that's so cool. Yeah. Cause otherwise but, they yeah. would have just gotten too big and then they would have like become cokeheads and got worked with a big producer and it would have been terrible. And like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you gotta, it's better to just have like this, this local secret yeah it's, yeah like it's it's interesting you say that so um i've got i've got a friends of friends who are in curse and um they they messaged me and said hey like if you ever see copies of these these two singles and i can't think the band will come to me in a minute but they were um i think it's the loved ones but it's like the australia like australia had a loved ones band back in the 70s um, but there's some like they they said to me like we we collect records or whatever and there's these two Australian records if you ever see 
could you grab them? And I was like, what the fuck do you want that for? But then, <laughs> yeah. like, later on you go, oh, okay, like, this is, yeah, this is, people love this music and you love it and partially, well, not partially love it because it's, like, so underground and so niche, but it's just, it's really early punk or really early proto-punk that never blew up. So the, yeah. the records are so much more limited, but the songs are fantastic. Right. Yeah, yeah I mean, so. it's 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 really cool. And I think I think you can't avoid there being a novelty of it being from the other side of the world too. I mean, even though we're yeah. closer together than ever before because of the internet, there's still just this feeling of like, it's so cool that there's people like me in Australia or whatever. Yeah, do, doing whatever it was. Yeah, doing whatever they were doing. But it's the same as what I was doing. But we, yeah, we have no association kind of thing. Yeah, totally. Cool. Awesome. Uh, like, yeah, I'll, I'll, again, I've never... My radar is very bad at the moment. Like, it's almost non-existent, for the, especially for the last few years of... um, I just kind of got to a point... And it's fucking... It's old and curmudgeon of me, but I got to a point where I just went, new music is getting harder and harder. Like, it's getting harder for me to get excited about a new insert band here when the when the band's brought out three three or four albums before and the first two were fantastic and so if I want to listen to that band, why don't I just listen to those those two yeah, albums? I know. So. And I yeah. It's tough. And I've I'm starting to feel like that too, but I don't know if well, I'm sure it is because I'm getting older, but I also do generally feel like rock music is getting worse lately. And yeah. that it's getting more and more boring and less interesting. So I find myself. I mean, we'll we'll get through my whole musical trajectory. But in I'm addition to getting in a just in addition to getting dumber, I think I'm getting more interested in like pop music and rap music. So, yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, <coughs> yeah. But I think like if we want to move along to the next sort of milestone. Yep. I think um, so. I kind of mentioned that I was like. I didn't really fit in in Scotland because of my accent. And then I moved to Canada. And also a big part of that was like not being good at sports. Like I've just was when I, before I moved to Scotland, I was really interested in ice hockey. And I feel like maybe I would have become a jock if I had stayed there or something. Uh, yeah. But instead I just did, I, you know, I moved to Scotland at such a young age. And yet every kid was already incredible at soccer or football as they called it. Like they were yep. already so good at it. It was too late for that. And then we moved back to Canada and everyone by, by then that was uh, grade four in Canada. So. And if um, you weren't into, if you weren't playing ice hockey, you'd, you'd miss the boat. Yeah. It was too late. And they were also really good at soccer. I mean, it was just like, I was, I was sort of doomed to not be into sports, which I'm totally fine with and glad about now. But, um, yep. so as a result, I became very obsessed with like the, absurdist sort of postmodern comedy of of 90s teendom or pre-teendom i guess like i was yep. you know even when i was like i feel like when i was eight or something my dad started buying me mad magazine and it just completely informed my entire outlook on the world but and and we would watch based, the Simpsons based on a him family. liking mad magazine or basically he just he, i think well actually what it really was was uh even when we still lived in winnipeg we would watch the simpsons as a family every week um, yeah, and okay. it was funny because growing up in church, like all of my friends were like, I'm not allowed to watch The Simpsons. They say, damn. And my parents were like, no, <laughs> The Simpsons is like absolutely the ultimate critique of like modern of society. Modern society. It's like an important show. So we would always watch it every week. And that really informed my sense of humor. And then 
from there I got really into Mad Magazine and then I got really into Ren and Stimpy and then I got really into Weird Al Yankovic. So all these like it's such a specific era of like humor too. Like I feel like people don't make jokes like this stuff anymore, but no, um, no. yeah, I was really into all that kind of stuff, but it's like very goofy and dorky. And I remember me and this kid that I was friends with in in grade four in Abbotsford, we would like <laughs> we had like write parodies of like the Lion King soundtrack and it was just all about like farting and pooping and stuff like just like <laughs> terrible nine-year-old kids just like spending all afternoon like drawing album covers for our parody albums because we wanted to be the next Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> that's that's pretty impressive like it's because it's definitely not the kind of thing that ev- like many people would go I can I can try this. Yeah, I guess it's true. I mean, I think especially just, in fact, even as like a regular writer now, I feel like there are certain ticks to my writing that come from Mad Magazine. Like I just, because also, I mean, now I just go on Twitter all day and read tweets all day and laugh and get numb to the joke. Like I just, I'm so addicted to Twitter. But back then I would just, you know, have a pile of Mad Magazines and read them front to back over and over again and start to learn like the pacing of jokes and the structure and how it worked so i think that really did like just make me feel addicted to it and also like when you are like kind of anti-social as a little kid a joke is like a a weapon or like a a tool that you can use to like feel very much so throw it in your arsenal yeah yeah so i i really became i kind of like studied them um but yeah i guess that was like an early on thing of like let's just do this but it was i mean the jokes were terrible it was awful, obviously. I'm so glad that I didn't have the internet back then. Because on our podcast, we always see these like little kids uploading things on YouTube. And I'm so thankful oh, that I didn't have that. Dude, like there are some, like we spoke about this earlier. The um, I got a chance to squeeze in the uh, latest episode, which is My Pet Sally. <laughs> yeah. And without giving too much of a spoiler away, because I really, I really think everyone that listens to this podcast would really, really, really enjoy Blink One Five Five. Whether like whether you're a Blink One Eight Two fan or not, um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I will say, me. I think, I think that our podcast is is very good if you're not a Blink One Eight Two fan. Like, we're not like we don't just talk about like uh, what sort of studio techniques they did or whatever. I mean, if anything, it's like we're very mean to them too much. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, me, there's a fine line between mean and honest. And you know what? That that really ties to what I'm talking about because Mad Magazine and The Simpsons both are very ruthless with literally everything, especially yeah. at that time. And it was like there's no there's no movie that's good enough that doesn't warrant being made fun of, you know? And that that yeah. really did teach me to have a critical mind and it helped me with my writing and stuff where a like nothing is better than criticism everything everything has something that could either be poked fun at or deconstructed or made fun of and also be like something that a lot of writers and probably a lot of podcasters as well don't do is like actually think about trying to be entertaining you know (laughs) a lot of a lot of reviews that i read are just like the person just stroking their own ego or masturbating onto the paper you got to just try to be like funny sometimes. So that that was really what Mad Magazine taught me. But as a result, people have hated me a lot throughout my career because I I'm such a shit talker. There's like we'll get into it, but there's I think I kind of chuckle whenever you guys bring up um you have a like every once in a while you get death threats about something you 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 wrote about. 
and I think it's amusing every time it comes up because it didn't happen to me, but I don't think you'd find it as amusing. Um, yeah, <laughs> I've gotten used to it. And I've also like, I've kind of chilled out in my, there was also like the arrogance of my 20s where I thought that I was definitely right about everything. And yeah, and just, indestructible. Yeah, exactly. And now I've kind of like stopped intentionally picking fights all the time online, but it's it's kind of too late. And I just I have a way of rubbing people the wrong way with, with the way I critique things. But that, I think I blame Mad Magazine for that. That's that's like that's a really I really dig that that you can literally pinpoint, to like you know twenty odd years later where it all came from. Yeah, I, I know it's crazy, and I also think it's weird that like things like Mad Magazine just and it's their fault too, but it just doesn't have any cultural value anymore, really. I know they're in the middle of rebooting the magazine right now. And they're going to try to sort of make it like geared towards millennials, but I don't think millennials are very sarcastic in general. They're very so earnest and sincere. What do, what do you mean by it's their fault? Like again, from someone that's never touched a man magazine, like right? What's, what's the well, story? Okay, when I was a kid, and prior to that as well, Mad Magazine was like literally punk. Like it was like it was black and white. You'd get ink on your fingers and they refused to sell ads. So like they would never have any advertising. It was just like you buy. It's like it was very like it felt very alternative. So they would just, you know, and then as time went on, people stopped buying print magazines and then they just continually try to retool it and try to reboot the magazine. And then they started running ads from advertisers. And then it's like then you can't tell if it's a real ad or a joke ad anymore. And then it gets to be full color. And then they try to introduce these new characters to connect with, you know, it's just like the story of anything really that it's, it's, it just, I guess they kind of sold out in a way. Not that, I don't know. I mean, everyone had also, it probably wouldn't have been good no matter what, like nothing is good forever. Yeah. um, But yeah, it just like, it stopped having that. Like it just used to be the place for like, kind of dorky misfit nerds to go poke fun at at jocks and pop culture yeah um, okay which also was very much like and it's cool that weird al still is popular um i don't know does, does do people in australia care about weird al um look my dad used to my dad used to film this is a okay i don't think so like yeah, I, I could get into a story, but it's not about me. It's not about my upbringing. I don't think they, um, I don't think they do. But saying that, like, besides a, so like the only like, my relationship with Weird Al was when he did the um the fat, the um instead oh, of bad, it was fat. Yeah, yeah. And they made a film clip for that. So like, my it, it was like me and Weird Al, we met there, and then because my dad thought it was funny. And then years later, he did an Offspring parody. Right. Pretty Fly for a Rabbi, maybe. Yeah. And then nothing. And then all of a sudden, he turned up on 30 Rock. Like, but Right, okay, okay. So, But like 30 Rock wasn't pop, but was no, by no means popular down here. Yeah. Um, And I used to have to, like, I don't know where they show it, but I used to like download it every week and my wife and I like love it. Right. But he kind of just turned up in there. And when I was watching that, I thought, oh, okay, well, Australia didn't get this. Like, this would... Yeah. Like, he's obviously massive in North America and can warrant doing, 
you know, tour relatively regularly and people still think he's funny, but it's just never caught on down here. Uh, yeah, that's fair. I also think that humor is very, like, location-specific sometimes. Yes, very much so. Um, although I will say that I'd really like Summer Heights High and Jamee. But but then um, I, I feel like even Chris Lilly is like, I don't know, there's some... There was like this HBO show. Uh, you you do you know you yep. obviously know about that guy, right? But like yeah, the yeah, HBO show true. did not translate well in Canada at all because he like wears blackface for one character and says the n word, yeah. and it's just like very. Everyone was like, "What the fuck?" So that's this. yeah. Like there was a bit of a there was a spark just recently that I kind of stumbled across at someone talking about it, and um, I was really conflicted because the the you know the morals in me make me th- like it was like oh netflix is going to do a new chris lily show and it was obviously obviously based on is it mouse or smouse or oh yeah whatever. oh really is that guy going to be in the show i think it's i think it might be based around him again oh fuck and um i looked at it and thought you know like thought that's that's what are you doing like what are we doing here but then a weird part of me thought like um i don't know comedy well enough but every time i hear like comedians speak about stuff they always have a skew on and maybe i'm listening to the wrong comedians but i feel like it's really you know really popular mainstream comedians like like a bill burr or something where they kind of say like people like bill burr's thing is i poke fun at everybody and if you're going to complain about one thing i do then you need to complain about everything i do but you'll only complain about that one little thing that directly affects you um, yeah. And so, like, and so I ha- I'm torn between like, well, where is it arts and it's still funny and it's still like a um, a comment on society versus where is it just no, that's blackface and you don't do that, right? Like, I, so I know, really t- and that's, yeah. I mean, people get in these like big philosophical debates about it, and you know, I I generally think that it's better to avoid that stuff altogether, but. But yeah, I understand absolutely. where they come from. But I guess that's what I'm saying about people like Weird Al is like, it's just all really dumb and silly and fun and just stupid. Yeah. Like everyone can get into it because it's so stupid. And it's so like, instead of just being like, I feel like there's this thing that comedians do where they're trying to be edgy and they like being this like cool guy with a leather jacket strewn over their thing. Like, I don't give a shit. But then there's people like Weird Al who are just like, I'm a dork just like all of you. And that really spoke to me. When I was a little kid. Yeah. And I, and also interestingly enough, and I think even just the way his voice is so nasally, when I got into no effects later on, I was like this (laughs) and no effects lyrics are funny too. And I was like, this kind of just sounds like weird Al. Yeah. I've never (laughs) piece that together, but yeah. Thank you for bringing that to my attention. That's unreal. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, and especially the, so this song I picked everything, you know, is wrong, I guess. So in addition to like parodying, um, parodying pop songs he would also like write originals and those are especially when he gets he kind of goes crazy with his lyrics just being totally absurd and totally ridiculous and occasionally very dark um and usually those songs are like written in the style of another band so this song is written in the style of they might be giants but i've never really been into they might be giants but i just loved this song because it's sounds like a weird new wave song and the chord progression is actually very complicated. Like at first you're like, oh, it's just a pop song. But then the chord progression is very, it sort of speaks to that earlier thing of like wanting things to be complicated. Like when you hear this song, you're like, I would probably need to download the tabs to be able to play along with this song. To work it out. Yeah. Yeah. So 
So would he um would he like because I didn't know he wrote his own material? Would he mix this in with other parody songs, or would he? Would yeah, he do so like a yeah. Every Weird Al album would have like probably three or four, maybe five parody songs, and then there would be like maybe three or four originals, and then he would always do a polka because he plays accordion as well. He would do like yep. a polka medley of of mainstream, like on the album that this is from, Bad Hair Day. This is like the I think this is the first CD I ever bought. Um, and this is the one with Amish Paradise, like the Amish version of Gangsta's Paradise. Because like also back then, for some reason, in the 90s, we loved to make fun of Amish people all the time. Like there's that movie Kingpin. I don't know. Like Amish people were the funniest thing on earth in the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> and now no one really makes Amish jokes anymore. I don't know why. They're still around and they're still funny. They still don't use technology. Yeah, it's um, it's yeah the jo- the punchlines are still there if you want them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, so he would he would he would have these originals mixed in, and back then, like like similar with a Mad magazine, you would just if you bought this thing, you would just study it nonstop. Like now, I just listen to three quarters of an album once and maybe never again. But back then, you would just like consume media so voraciously.
there's a lot going on in this song. <laughs> it's crazy, right? Yeah. And if you look at the lyrics, there's just like so many references to just the most bizarre things. So did um did he kind of is it common knowledge that he came out? Oh, sorry, let me start that again. Is it common knowledge that this is a They Might Be Giants song? Because the like even like vocally, he sounds like They Might Be Giants. Anyhow, would you say that, or, or you're not really into them? I'm not really into that band, but I think. Like, is there is there a forum? Like, is there a Reddit where? Because um, I know you're a big fan of Reddit, or at least the <laughs> Blink One Eight Two Reddit. Subreddit. Yeah. Um, is we there a, talking like, about it is, on there? I haven't seen it. Uh, no, okay. I, I think at the time, probably, I'm guessing that the fans would f- figure out what he was referencing, and definitely yeah. with other songs, you can clearly tell. Like, there's a a Weird Al song. I forget what it's called. That's on a later album, and it sounds exactly like that band Sparks who, you know, like they have like crazy piano stuff. Like sometimes he really wears it on his sleeve. This one, um, I don't know. There's also this song by Weird Al called I've Got a Funny Feeling You Don't Love Me Anymore. And when I lived in Scotland as a little kid, that song was the the same. I feel unless I'm remembering it wrong, it was the same uh, melody as I've got a funny feeling you've been drinking iron brew on TV for like that iron brew beverage that Scottish people love so much. Yeah. So when I heard that Weird Al song, I was like, what is he parodying the obscure iron brew commercial? But I don't know. Of a drink that's really popular in one small country. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Although I got to yeah. say, I still love iron brew. Do you get it? Is it available in Canada? Like it is, regularly? but apparently it's actually like illegal here. Like there's some sort of, Import, import law that I think I think Iron Brew is like a hot commodity now. Like I got into this is going to sound really odd. I got into Iron Brew because a friend who's got definitely got Scottish blood in him, like put it in front of me. But I got the I started with the alcoholic version before I realized that they actually ever made a like a non-alcoholic version. Oh yeah, and I didn't even know that they made an official alcoholic one either. Yeah. And it like it's one of those things where like it's full of sugar and you're not gonna it, it never ends well the next morning. Yeah. But but like it's, it's also I I love that beverage because I love I love being contrarian and I think I just yeah. tricked myself into liking it because it tastes like pennies or something. Like it tastes it's so a, bad, but I love yeah. it. Oh, I want it so bad right now. <laughs> and it's like it's brutal it's like a brutal orange, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Like yeah, it, like it's like you look at it and go there's nothing there's nothing like like oh, i'm making a statement when i drink this drink like <laughs> yeah, big bright exactly. blue label with an orange <laughs> drink in it yeah <laughs> so yeah. why that why that um is there any particular reason why we picked that weird Al- our song well i just remember that song over the years has always stood out to me as like the chord progression is so interesting and it almost the chord progression is almost like classical music or something. Like it kind of reminds me of like a fast Weezer song in the way that yep. Weezer will do these like descending um, notes. It just, yeah. And so to me, actually, when I look back at it now, that song, even with music I write now is very influential in what I want to do, which is like make a song that sounds simple on the surface. But then if you unpack it, it's like kind of complicated. So it's sort of actually a marriage of like growing up, listening to, Prague and stuff like that and then liking dumb punk music i think that that song actually sort of unlocked a door in my mind was there anything else you could have kind of you were skirting around with and didn't pick 
Or was that just like, no, this well, is Well, when one. it comes to first CDs, I mean, this is really, like, Bad Hair Day was the one that I was, that that was the one that definitely had the most impact because of what I was talking about with my sense of humor and stuff. And also, it's yep. very, like, proto-pop punk, I think. But I also was really into, like, alternative music. I remember I also was really into Collective Soul. And then there's, like, an alternative band from Canada called Our Lady Peace. I don't know if they've gotten big outside of Canada very much, but they're sort of, like, Canadian... I can't even think of like a parallel, just like very earnest, cheesy post grunge, like radio pop music. That was okay. a big, their, their album clumsy was really huge for like every Canadian kid. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think really thinking about my first CD, like I was pretty much just spending all my time and money consuming nerdy comedy kind of stuff. So moving a bit forward, um, your dad sounds like a really progressive type. Like for someone, again, for a pastor who's into, well, someone who studied religion who also sees the value in The Simpsons, he doesn't seem like the kind of guy that would listen, like hear you listening to music and go, no, we can't do this. Like what was the kind of, what was the music that you started listening to where you you wouldn't put it on in a car trip or that kind of thing? Right. I mean, that never really fully happened. Um because my parents were very, my mom too, they're both very open-minded. And in fact, the way that I got into like local punk was, so my dad taught at this um, Christian university. It's like they, they teach everything, but it's Christian, but it's a uni- it's like a university. Like you can get any kind of degree there. He, he was working there and there was like a student union that would put on punk shows there. Um, and in the like, in the late nineties, especially in Western Canada and the Pacific Northwest, like I would actually argue that pretty much most of Vancouver's punk scene has somebody who got into music through church and through Christian punk. Like there's this label called tooth and nail records that put out MXPX and all that kind of stuff. But they also put out like bands like roadside monument who are like kind of sounded like Fugazi basically, or bands like um, Frodis who were sounded like refuse and actually like toured with refuse and stuff. So there was a lot of like parallels to, regular music that taught us basically what post hardcore was or what you know all these various things so it was actually like a very fertile time in music so my dad would take me to like hardcore shows basically because they were put on by the university so i would see like all these amazing hardcore punk bands all the time and then that was really when i just got like completely hooked on local shows and going to sorry go on yeah yeah, just like going going to see like small local bands all the time, and uh, uh, one big one around then and huge in my teens was Pedro the Lion, which is like sort of like indie rock slowcore kind of stuff. Um, and I used to go after seeing him at this university. I would go see him all the time, so I've probably seen him like twenty times. And I remember going to see him, and Death Cab for Cutie would open for him, and like that. So I saw that I saw Death Cab for Cutie like long before they got big and I remember they had like silk screened pillowcases or something at the merch table that I really wish I would have bought. Cause that, that would be eBay gold today. I'm oh, sure. Mate, yeah. Retirement <laughs> fund. Yeah, exactly. So, um, were the, were the shows they were putting on at the college? Was it, um, were they Christian bands or like, did they have a Christian aesthetic to them or, um, or it was yeah. just happened to be anybody? No, it, this specific one was always like Christian bands, but then there was other venues that, you know, you'd go to the show and then you'd be like, oh, I like this band. I'm going to go see them next time they're in town. And then you'd go to other venues. There's a place called the Java Joint outside of Vancouver 
where and then it would just kind of get mixed in where you'd go see these bands play with non-christian bands and then you'd learn about like it was just sort of that was my gateway into like the punk world really was starting with that so there was this band called figure four which is now yep. comeback kid, comeback kid. And figure four was like extremely Christian back then. Like they used to like pray for the audience between songs, literally <laughs> like on wow. stage. So, and that's sort of like a thing that, you know, I get it. Like there's things that maybe you've moved on, f- on from, but no one really knows that they were so Christian. And I remember going to see them when I was like 12, probably. And people were handing out flyers, um, to do with like the abortion debate like saying like you shouldn't go see this band because they're christian and like we're we're pro-choice or whatever um so that even even that and like my brain didn't really understand that at the time i was like so little i was like whoa there's like some political action going on here (laughs) so uh but yeah this band this band opened for figure four at the java joint called bleeding from the forehead and they were, just, they were just, like, <laughs> they were just like a ridiculous, like, I don't know, just like hardcore band. I don't even think, I don't know if it was like youth crew or if it was like metalcore. I can't really remember. I remember people were doing like the spin kicking kind of shit and no one was yep. at the show too because a Christian band was headlining and everyone was pissed about it. So, but I saw Bleeding from the Forehead open and it turns out that the guy from Bleeding, one of the guys from Bleeding from the Forehead, uh, actually one of them went to summer camp with me. I later figured out. And he, like, got sent home because he pulled a prank where he shat on someone's doorstep or something. I don't know. Wow. And he was later in figure four as well. But this other guy from Bleeding from the Forehead was now a good friend of mine named Ryan. Uh, and he is from this band called the Witness Protection Program. Um, and I remember seeing the Witness Protection Program in the cafeteria at the Christian University because they were, like, three-fourths Christian high school friends. Um, and... Th- that th- they literally changed my life this band um they're like so they started off as the witness protection program and then they would tour a lot to this christian festival called tom fest where that was like where all these cool christian punk and hardcore bands would play and like it sounds insane to say that <laughs> i'm yeah. sure to everyone the thought of there being a cool christian punk and hardcore band but it truly was like a very fertile time for a lot of people no, in, in that late music. 90s early 2000s like there was yeah i completely agree there was there were christian you know there were people who were like yeah open, like, you know n- nothing wrong with it but and it just doesn't seem to happen nowadays but there were yeah there was a christian scene yeah and it was like the music was actually good and that i think that's why people would fight about it so much because the music was good like now you could hear a Christian punk band and you're not going to, no one's going to argue about it because they probably suck. But yeah. back then, like these bands felt almost a little bit dangerous. Like a, a contemporary example that I bring up sometimes is Dry Rot, this band from, um, I think they're from LA or somewhere in California, but they're like, they're like a, a hardcore band that feels dangerous. And part of their aesthetic is that they're Christian and they talk about scripture and stuff, but they're like, they've been known to like throw bleach on people and stuff while they play. <laughs> like it sort of felt like that. Like, just like, you never know what you're going to see. Um, I've heard you mention that. Like, how does that, how do they get to pull that off? <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, American hardcore has been a really wonderful thing for the last five years where people like light off fireworks inside house shows and stuff. Like there's, there's, a, there's a bit of a danger to it. That's fun again. Um, okay. But yeah, back to so the witness protection program. Then they sort of like stopped. I don't know. They stopped being Christian band. I don't. I don't. I haven't had like a. I haven't had a serious talk with. I don't know where they're at personally, but they stopped sort of 
you know, marketing themselves as that. And then they shortened their name to the WPP. Um, yep. But I, my first time seeing them was at, at this university. Uh, my friend from youth group, Steve, was with me. And he later went on to form the band You Say Party, We Say Die. Um, I don't know if you've... Well, they, they, like, toured quite a bit and they got pretty big. But he was it's with me at the show. Name. Yeah. Um, so we went to see the WPP together when they were still a witness protection program. They played with this band called Fado. And both of these bands were like, like Fado was more like a sort of 90s screamo style, I remember. And then the Witness Protection Program was like, they sort of now looking back, I guess they kind of sounded like the Blood Brothers or something. But it was like, it was definitely what people describe as like spazzy, hardcore, like influenced by Fugazi, but then also just like everything going on at once. Like I've been talking about, like it was just like the my friend i'm since good friends with the bass player too steve matheson from this band he totally plays bass like guitar and they were just swinging their guitars everywhere and like literally hitting people with their guitars and falling over and like it kind of sounded like shit but it was an amazing mess because you could tell their songs were almost there it was like what i was describing everyone soloing at once so i became obsessed with these guys and they were like very formative on my on my teenage brain um so we would go see them all the time around Vancouver and wherever they would play sort of around there. And then I formed a band called the hand that was sort of like that, sort of like the locust, but I think it also sounded like converge or something. Like I just got really into like, uh, I got really into punk and hardcore. It's kind of what I've been describing of learning backwards. Like I started with this very complicated, technical mathy sort of band and then eventually got into dumber things and into like, um, I don't know, like moshy music. <laughs> yeah, because I was going to say, like, you don't have, like, a lot of people I speak to who, a lot of people I speak to this have got, like, some kind of, obviously, and you do too, like, a punk rock centric, you know, you, 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 whether you're into it or not now, you, you went through a punk rock stage or, you know, still are going through it. Um, but most people, most people's trajectory, and maybe it's because I speak to a lot of Australians, most people's trajectory is, um, they either got into well, yeah. They either got into metal, like to get to hardcore. They got into metal, and then hardcore, or they got into pop punk slash punk rock, like so, Epifat or whatever, and mm-hmm. then got into hardcore. Yeah. So you've jumped from Weird Al to hardcore bands. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. But it's sort of like again, they were uh, the WPP were always like shit talking. It always felt like an inside joke. The lyrics were all from TV. It was all very like funny, but also felt dangerous because everything could fall apart at any moment. And they were just like, I there. And also, what I was talking about of like the unsung heroes, like only people from Vancouver really know this band because they sort of imploded right when they had a chance of getting big. But through them, then I got into like the Blood Brothers. Like I said, this local band called the Red Light Sting were sort of similar, and then. And then through those bands, they were all friends with like actual hardcore bands. So that's how I got into this band Reserve 34 from Vancouver. And then they later became Go It Alone and uh, Blue Monday, like all that kind of stuff. But I started going to like Vancouver shows because of the WPP. So like and 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 also they're sort of the benchmark that I whenever I see a rock band now, I I think uh, this happens to everyone. Right. Like you're you get locked in into your teens and whenever i see a band now they're the benchmark of like are they as entertaining as the wpp and the answer yeah. is literally always no <laughs> but no never <laughs> yeah. yeah but you know just like just seeing people throw things around and 
go crazy and and write music that doesn't really sound like anything else. Um, like it's really worth listening to their album. He has the technology, which you can find on Bandcamp. Um, it's like it kind of is what I was describing, like a prog record, but it's also got the dumb sense of humor of Weird Al. So it really did marry those two things and work as the perfect entry point for me to get into punk. But then I picked this song Leaders Are For Followers because it, it was like their hit at the time. And it was like, it, this is like, this is like their version of a pop song. So it's, it's doesn't have like ridiculous time signature bullshit, but it's, you still get the idea. And it's just like, I don't know, this is just me and my friends like driving around various parts of the lower mainland of BC going to see them every weekend. And it's also weird too, because the thing about punk is that you can be friends with the people in the bands really easily. Yeah. But this, this band blew my mind so much that like it's, I haven't really been able to like hang out with them without being weird until I became an adult because <laughs> it was like <laughs> they had too much of an impact on my life. So you said though they kind of imploded before they got big. What was the um what was happening for them to potentially start getting big? Like were they doing were they getting more attention outside of that their local or what was well, the Well yeah, in my in my mind what happened was like they signed to this label. I can't remember what it was called, but it was like somehow related to um think it was connected to pretty girls make grades or something they signed to some like late some hip label in america and then they booked this massive three three month tour and then they sort of had like a little band fight and broke up the night before the tour and replaced the bass player or toured as a i don't know something happened that their their big tour got fucked up and then and, and also then this this style of music went out of style so i i I don't know if it would have happened anyways, but they're just sort of like Vancouver's secret for people my age. Okay. No, that's unreal. Yeah. So leaders are for followers. With the, well, sorry, when they released this, were they the WPP or they Witness Protection yeah, that, Program? Yeah, so Witness Protection Program released an album called The Revolution That Never Was and Never Will Be. Um, and because every band in the late 90s had the word revolution in their yeah. in their album title or songs, uh, they re- that's their one release as the Witness Protection Program. And it's also good, but probably more like you had to be there. You know what I mean? Yep. And then they released um, an EP called Boom Jam, which is no longer online. And then Bam Jam was the follow-up because everything was just like a dumb inside joke. And then He Has the Technology was their album. But but yeah, uh, this song from Bam Jam is when we were like, oh, damn, they actually have some pop hits too. <laughs>
So you're saying this is more of the poppier element, the poppier end of their spectrum? Yeah, like if you just actually just for conversation wise, click on he has the technology and just play a little bit of one of those songs, and you'll hear more of what their vibe was. So I could never play in a band like this <laughs> for this one reason, and it's not musically because I think I could keep up. But if you're going to name a song, let's see a little less standing around and a little more jumping out of cakes, I'd be like, dude, what's the first riff? Like, yeah. Because I've got a feeling they don't sing, let's, let's see a little less standing around and a little more jumping out of cakes. Well, I mean, yeah. And also that, so that album, he has the technology is like when they all started living together and started like charting things out, like I'd go to their house and they'd have like a map on the wall of what the songs were and everything. And wow. they they did get like so ambitious to the point where they almost couldn't keep up when they were many beers drink, many beers deep yeah. live. Like it was deep like, into it. but that's sort of like, I, I can just see it in my mind of how, how this affected me. Cause it's, it's everyone playing at once. It's everyone like doing it as much as they possibly can. And it's never boring. And I think being boring is really the worst possible sin that you can commit in life. In my opinion, like it's, I'm not going to disagree with you there. Like there's no reason to be boring. Yeah. And so, I mean, this is just like, imagine just like having this band that's all your, all yours with your friends when you're like, you know, 14, 15. It's like, it's crazy. And so we were just completely obsessed with them and we would follow them around. And um, yeah, and you had mentioned while you're listening that the production was so good. And uh, the producer of who did, I believe the first witness protection program and then all their stuff and did uh, reserve 34 who i mentioned who's also a band that's worth checking out um that was jesse gander who has since become like vancouver's like go-to producer like he does um japan droids and white long and uh he does and baptists and like he's sort of like the guy he used to be in that band dbs in the 90s yep um yep but as he was learning to record he would just like work with like wpp and stuff so he really like he's just a sick producer and i love that he makes everything clean and like polished and bright and i think there's an element of pop punk to it even though they're not a pop punk band yeah i don't hear like i i have a feeling i could get down with this and i don't feel uh like it's it hasn't dated yeah there are aspects of them that have dated i think like this the screaming vocals maybe is where it's like it sounds like the 2000s, you know, like the, but, but ultimately I agree. And I think that they are just like, even though they were playing with like hardcore bands and post hardcore bands, they just sound like a rock band kind of, well, yeah, hopefully some Australians will get into the WPP now. Yeah. Fingers crossed. <laughs> like it's yeah. Okay. That's, that's unreal. I'm really leveled by that. So there you go. <laughs> um, so you, how long did you, how long did you live in, um, Win- uh, sorry, not Winnipeg. Not Winnipeg. Uh, Vancouver. Va- yeah, how long did you live in Vancouver for um, before you moved to Calgary? I lived there. I moved. I lived there until I think two thousand seven or eight. So yeah. uh, I lived there for into my twenties. So still around that time. Um, I think what happened was through WPP. Then I got hooked. Also, I guess on Yes and stuff as well. I got hooked on listening to like very technical and insane music so i was obsessed with like hella for a long time that band with zach hill it's like just drum and guitar duo and it's kind of almost jazzy or like math but it's also very punk sounding um and then lightning bolt was another huge one for me where it's just like so it's just so like it's just playing all the time just like maximalist never slowing down um and i guess it's worth saying that this whole time i have i've pretty much been obsessed with blink 182 since i was like 
12 or 13. See, that's that's the thing. Like, I was just, as you were saying that, I was just thinking to myself, I wonder where the part is where he says he gets into Blink-182. Because <laughs> yeah. you obviously, again, like throwing back to the 155 podcast, yeah. you obviously have a deep affection or affinity with the band. Yeah. But they haven't come up yet. And I, I like, I kind of think you get to that, like when you're hitting, when you start hitting your 20s, you don't get into Blink-182 when you hit your 20s. Right. Like no, if you're not I, on the boat, then the boat is the That's the weird thing, I guess. I think what it really is, and I just didn't, I didn't want to, I didn't want to pick it because I felt like there's, it's too obvious. Like my brain is too ridiculous. It's like all over the place. It's just a fucking mess in there. Um, but I, I, I was, I guess the Weird Al thing, and also the WPP was like a punk band making jokes, right? So like it's still, it's still the same vibe. But I guess yeah. what it was was like Christian music. I was obsessed with MXPX and then someone at my youth group like showed me Blink-182 on sort of a contraband Discman player one time. And then I was like, oh, this just sounds like MXPX, but with like dick jokes. That's amazing. So then that was kind (laughs) of why I got into it. But even when I was like a teen, I've always been really obsessed with like the question of what's good and what's bad or like high culture versus local. Like when all of my friends were getting into like, I don't know, um, lost in translation or movies like that i would i would find it so annoying and pretentious even though i like i I love like art movies now i love like criterion bullshit now but back then when my friends were like getting all like turning their nose up i would just watch the movie biodome every weekend like i was really obsessed with just like shitty things and trying to find the value in them so i think that's maybe why but i also think ultimately and even that's why i chose that wpp song is like i care about pop songs and i think that's what I'm saying about not being boring too, is like, if you're just going to wank the whole time, then you have to still hook people in somehow. And you have to give, you can't playing music and writing songs can't just be for you. I think. Correct. Yeah. So that's why I, I, I care about Blink-182 because it's like all of the elements of writing a good song is there except on California. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes. Um, so when's the last time you watched Biodome? Uh, it's been a few years, but I, I honestly watched it like 30 times when I was a teen. Um, yeah, same I'd here. love to put it on again. It's so like, it's, it's so stupid that I think it, I think it is an art film actually. Like the fact that there's a secret room that's full of junk food for no reason whatsoever, or the fact that they can Absolutely like no reason. name yeah. each other's, um, smells of each other. Like, I think it's, it's truly like an absurdist work of art. The, the, I, th- I always thought that fart scene was a bit of a... I could be reading too much into it, but a tip of the hat to The Descendants. Oh. Because the des- there's The Descendants song called Enjoy where they, in a freeform Odyssey part of the song, they start ripping farts and they start saying, like, that smells like some kind of cheese and apricots. Like, they, <laughs> they start talking about what the fart... You know, what was... The, the uh, composition of the fart and so I always thought it was a bit of a tip of that but look that movie it didn't it in my opinion and and don't get me wrong I love it I used to love that movie and you know in my heart it's always up there but it did not age well yeah I mean I would be curious to know if I think it aged well because I feel like even back then I could see it how much trash it was like just how terrible it was so yeah to me it's like more of a to quote another podcast, how did this get made sort of situation? Like I can't believe that the movie even exists because there's no plot and no logic. Like there's just a key that they had all along that they could open up and then have that party and then build a cigarette. Like 
it's so stupid. It kind of reminds me of Freddy Got Fingered. And those movies become so stupid that your brain sort of like feels this high that you're that you're enjoying an actual work of art in a museum. So yeah, I respect it. But I, I will have to watch it again sometime because I know like there's like straight up sexual assault in it too, which is like not yes. cool. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> and but the, you know the the thirteen year old your thirteen year old self wasn't as woke as what you are now. So you just thought it was <laughs> yeah. like, oh okay, I guess that's kind of what you can do. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> I guess I don't know. I mean, I didn't even I was mostly just like when they ask him for the key that he swallows and then he just moons the glass, like, what does that mean? Like, did he think they could see inside of his colon or something? Like, I remember just being so confused by that scene. Like, what is he trying to say with his ass here? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's an, it's an odd movie, but yeah, I think so in my early twenties, it, it always has been this, what I've been talking about is like this, this inner struggle between stupidity and so-called smartness or intelligence or like intelligent playing. And so, um, in my early twenties, I really did connect with like the garage rock revival and the garage rock boom, not because I liked the like, uh, you know, big mutton chop sideburn guys with like pork pie hats, like playing like actual garage. But I really felt, I felt like, all of North America just had one local punk scene all of a sudden. Like it felt, it felt like people were finally listening to like local bands. I've always just loved local bands. I've loved going to see what my friends have made and being excited about it. And I love like the primitive feeling of it. And so when all the stuff from LA got big on blogs, like, um, no age and, and Mika Miko and all these bands, like I was really obsessed with that and I loved the simplicity of it. And I really loved Jay Riotard as well. It just like, it just connected with me in a way where I'm like, this is like simple, just raw punk energy. And it's really exciting. Awesome. So what did you go with? Uh, So for, for here, I picked Mika Miko wild boar. Cause I think it's an example of just like, it's a massive pop hit. Like this song is a pop hit for sure. It it stays in your head forever, but it's also like, it's so primitive and stripped down and kind of shitty. And it's just like, that was such an exciting time for me. And it was when I really started, because prior to that, I would always think about WPP and think about like the shows should feel dangerous and exciting and explosive. But then I, then with Mika Mika, I was like, Oh, you could just write a song in an afternoon and record it immediately. And then it would be, you could potentially write like a sick pop song with, yeah, without too much, without too much, um, what's the word review and that kind of thing. Just like throw it out there and see what happens. Yeah, exactly. So it was that to me, that was an exciting idea of just like, and it's actually a very blink thing too. Like first thought, best thought. Yes. And who who quoted that line? Was that Jay Fields? Uh, that was, you know, that's what apparently um, Feldy was saying to them while they were recording California. He was saying first thought, best thought. But then I read this Matt Skiba interview where he said that, um, uh, oh, what is the guy's name? Jerry Finn coined that phrase. But I don't think that's true. Oh, I think that's, that's like, I think that phrase is like a very old phrase. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's It'd be hard to believe that someone made it up in the 2000s yeah exactly like some some pop punk guy i don't know it seems like it seems like maybe from the 50s or something at the very very latest yeah (laughs) so what was it what was it about this song 
anything particular? Like, does it, do you do a, do you associate it with a moment or like do you, was it? Uh, like I associate it with a moment a little bit where it's like it kind of. I was like becoming a professional writer at the same time, and there was like all this cool punk shit that I could write about, and it was really exciting because it wasn't like I had to write about like really boring indie rock with glockenspiels or whatever. I could write about what felt like was my hometown or what felt like local shows, and you could go to south by southwest and see all these bands like play a house show or something it was just like it was interesting and also in retrospect probably bad but the local punk scene was sort of being absorbed into the larger music conversation and it was exciting and so that's the moment i think of and then this song i think is just like the guitar the guitar progression and the I guess you could call it a riff, but it's just chords, really. But it's, like, so dumb and simple, but it will stay in your head forever. Like, it's just, like, it's so... There's nothing to it, and it just really shows what you can do with, like, minimalism. saying this kind of was early to mid 2000s i think it was like actually probably like mid to late 2000s okay right like yeah probably I, I 2008 know. or 9 i'm thinking but i could be wrong i'm also really bad with dates so i might have like fucked yeah, up this here. whole timeline no that's cool like this that that whole scene was lo- like didn't even wasn't even close to being on my radar where are they from la yeah yeah like i completely understand what you're saying and not that it's a bad thing that you're going backwards in level like skill but yeah like there's a big gap between there's a big difference in yeah talent's not the word i'm there's a big difference in musicianship between um this and yes yeah exactly like but (laughs) it's true but i think especially around this time i really started like um all my friends were really getting into like killed by death uh, like obscure punk seven inches and stuff. And I've never really been like a deep record collector. And in fact, I sold all of my records last year, but um, I, I would always like buy new releases and buy just like my friends bands. I still had a huge collection, but I never was really looking for like the Holy grail record ever. But a lot of my friends started becoming obsessed with like proto punk killed by death compilations. Um, like just all these like 
compilations and then there's then you just learn about all these like songs that are that are hits using nothing really um and i think i really did start caring more about songwriting around this time and i think jay riotard was a huge part of that too because it's just like there's just this like bottled up explosive punk energy but then it's it's just pop music yeah absolutely so jay riotard i want to say he they're australian or am uh, I- no yeah he he was really influenced by a lot of Kiwi pop, like flying okay. on record stuff later in his life. But he was from, uh, he was from Memphis, Tennessee in America. And he died of a overdose in, I think 2010. Um, but he had written, like, he was just like a machine. Like he, he wrote so many huge pop songs and, um, he had been wanting, he was talking about like writing a country record. I think also this was like this explosion in the late, 2000s of like punk related things was also to me felt like the first explosion of this style of music where people weren't as worried about genre stuff like no age could write a song that sounded like black flag and then the very next song could sound like my bloody valentine and no one would feel like it was weird it was just like that was just what no age was doing you know so Jay Riotard was also like that where he would just like have this manic punk energy but then just write like sick pop tunes um so yeah i don't know i think and i do think that my well actually what i'll say is so because of that kill by death thing and i don't know that documentary american hardcore came out around this time and i started like going back further because prior to that i had just been like oh i like wpp they're all about fugazi i'll pay attention to like post hardcore stuff but i never had really truly gone deep into hardcore even though like my roommates were in like semi-big hardcore bands growing up i was always surrounded by it but i didn't properly appreciate it and then sort of around this time i started listening to like descendants and all and adolescence and all that kind of stuff and then just slowly getting more and more into different hardcore stuff and i'm not like an encyclopedia at all but now i can like because of this time i now appreciate like pretty much all eras of hardcore for what they are and also just because i still go to hardcore shows all the time in fact those are the only shows I go to because like I told you being boring is very, very much a problem to me. So I don't want to go see some fucking indie band. I want to go see some people punch each other in the face. So, but saying all that you play in prenup. Yeah. So what's <laughs> prenup like? And like, yeah, again, I've only got, I've never listened. Um, yeah. Yeah. But no, so talk to me about prenup. Uh huh. So prenup is, um, Along those lines, I think what I don't like is the middle class of music, pretty much. Like, I like extremely wussy things. Like, I love Bell and Sebastian so much. And then I yep. also love Turnstile and um, Terror and things like that. So, But I don't like the middle class of boring music. And I think what happened with Mika Miko and these kinds of bands is that people were like, oh, you can write a pop song with very little effort. But then people didn't have the chops. And then we, for the last... 10 years since then we've just had these like incredibly mediocre garage bands that just don't they don't write they don't think about whether or not the song even has a good chorus or whatever and so it really got really boring and then as a result i got really more obsessed with um slumberland records and indie pop and like twee kind of stuff um so i've uh yeah so actually prenup is like pretty tied to this early slumberland band called rocket ship and we had their cd when i was a kid as well i mean i could have picked so many different things for each era so oh yeah absolutely uh but 
yeah, so Rocket Ship is like this, it's like a twee, it's like the songs are really wussy, almost on purpose, like daring you not to like it for being wussy. It's very like, it's very gentle and melodic, but mostly it's obsessed with songwriting. So um, yeah, prenup is like that. And it's the, I intentionally was getting tired of like everyone I know being in a rock and roll band and wanting to play like rock, quote unquote rock music. And I don't know, yeah. I hate things like that. I really don't like the hold steady or things like that. I, I know a lot of people I know really like the hold steady. It's just really not for me. So as a, as a uh, reaction against that, I wanted to start like the wussiest pop band that I could. But then yeah. my, my wife who has played drums, my wife Sarah played drums in our last band, Grown Ups, which was sort of more Mika Miko-ish. Um, she plays drums in prenup as well. And she like, <laughs> to her credit, she made it a lot better, but she's like way too impatient to play wussy music. <laughs> yeah. So she, she sort of like turned it into a punk band again. So it's like this weird push and pull between like being kind of wussy and melodic but also very very fast and loud <laughs> also that's yeah that, that's kind of what it's like but i think that does go good to my, that does go well with like something i'm that is what i'm obsessed with now is like just like indie pop music like like music that is very well written song structure wise and i think even things that i thought i was too cool for when i was younger like i'm like i said i'm very uh reactionary so when something like the strokes was so hyped when it first came out i refused to listen to it but now i'm going back and like i love vampire weekend now because the songs are complicated and interesting and uh yeah i love like i just care about songwriting and song structure and i think <laughs> i like things that actually maybe sound like that weird Al song now it just it's all coming back to weird Al and mad magazine <laughs> yeah exactly so um that's why i picked the go team for something that i'm obsessed with lately because the go team is like they're ridiculously out of any air. Like they don't sound tied to a specific era or time. It's just like, I don't even really know how the dude makes it. I think it's like sample based and cut and paste stuff, but um, they have a new album out, but the one before that, the scene between, which is like two years old. It just sounds like, it sounds like somebody trying to make a like shop assistance record, but using using their computer like copying and pasting samples so it's very much like pop punk songs but it sounded like they're created by a computer with a sampler just computer generated here so but okay so before we before we get into the song yeah um let's let's talk about blink 155 yeah if that's okay like and obviously Absolutely. the the best way to experience blink like the best way to be informed about blink 155 is by listening to the podcast but um, I mean, the other thing is I'm scared that we're so deep into the podcast now. I hope that people can, well, it's kind of scary. People keep tweeting at us like, I learned about it last week and I listened to all the episodes in one week. <laughs> like that's so much Blink-182. Yeah, it is. It is a lot. But then, yeah, it, it is a lot. But pardon me for, like, they're, they're, they're meaty episodes. Like, you know, the, the early ones start off as like 45 minutes. You're like, oh, okay, cool. But the one with... Like the most recent one was like an hour and 45 on a song okay. that goes for like a minute 20 or something. Yeah, and that was a shorter one. Like we've been breaking the two-hour mark all the time lately. Which is like, it's, again, I love it so much. How did it How did it come about? But actually, I like I kind of know how it came about, but explain how it came about because I think it's a really interesting... I think well, it's really interesting, yeah. Sam and I barely know each other, but we have a lot of mutual friends through that's, Canadian that's music industry. That's what I find fantastic. Yeah, yeah. We have a lot of mutual friends and like what I've just described to you throughout this last hour and a half is pretty much 
a glimpse into my brain, which is just like a mess of pop culture references and like all over the place, like no focus whatsoever of any one genre me, or anything. Making, it's making so much sense now. <laughs> right. It's like, it's insane, but it's making, like I could go back to, and listen to all 30 odd episodes with fresh ears and go, ah, oh, <laughs> right. that's why. Okay. Yeah. Like I'm just like, and I, uh, I'm not saying that Sam's not like that, but he is definitely more of like a traditional pop punk kind of fan. I think. Yes. And then, you know, his band junior battles is like a pop punk band. Like they, they go to fest all the time. Like, and, and I, I'm to be honest with you, I don't really like pretty much any modern pop punk at all. Um, so, but I'm approaching this as someone who's been obsessed with Blink-182, but also just like my brain is like, like, uh, sparking wires like that, you know, it's just like, it seems like it's half melted or something. So yeah. that, that's kind of the weird dichotomy that we have. But basically over the years when we've crossed paths, Sam and I have talked about Blink-182 because it's our common ground. And then um, I I did a guest episode on his YouTube show, This Exists, and we like kind of had a good chemistry together. So then like a couple days later, he was like, hey, do you, I have this crazy idea. Do you want to do a podcast where we talk about every single Blink-182 song? He's like, it w- he's like, I think it would take a few years. So just give it some time and see if you want to do this. Like give it, give it some thought. And like, <laughs> I think about 60 seconds later, because I'm also always online. Like 60 seconds later, I was like, yes, let's do it. So, And I think he also didn't know me well enough to know how much research and like digging for the bottom of the internet I was planning on doing with each song. And and you go like, you scrape, like you, (laughs) you scrape the bottom of the valve. (laughs) And look, I'm going to edit this in. I'm going, if it's okay with you, I'm going to put in just a sample, just a sprinkling of, um, how how deep you guys get again if it's okay sure oh absolutely um, yeah that's of, cool like of uh again i listened to the latest episode yesterday the day prior to recording this and um i was sitting i almost had to pull over from laughing so hard <laughs> at how insane it got when you spoke about <laughs> jake the snake stuff yeah and and also um the the two the two budgies that died, Tom and Sally. <laughs> yeah. Like I was dying. Well, Cause another was like, thing that has really played into it is that, uh, one of my best friends, Carl here in Calgary, him and I have become very obsessed with like, like everyone's obsessed with YouTube, but we're obsessed with finding YouTube videos that have less than a hundred views and like, just the, the, seeing all the weird shit. Cause there's so much shit and you can be so voyeuristic and just find, like, I remember with, my wife and his girlfriend, like just us forcing them to sit through an entire evening of just searching the phrase get rich quick on YouTube and watching people like there's only 20 views and it's someone trying to set up a pyramid scheme on their webcam. And it's like so dark and insane. But I just love that because you can you can find the whole world on YouTube. They're, everyone's there. Like the Jake the Snakes the thing was a was a like the one I watched. <laughs> was a video of a guy and again you talk about it and yeah it just gets so deep but the video of the guy who shows the grave of where he buried his snake <laughs> and it had look let's say let's say there was 20 views there may not have been that many but it had no uplikes and four downs and I was like <laughs> what what made this person think that this is a good idea to upload and then you found it 
and the yeah, and then and the, you talk much about to, it. much to Sam's chagrin because the video was titled the same as the song we were talking about. I made him talk yep. about it for ten minutes or whatever. <laughs> but then this took a really dark turn. Oh. Um, it took a really dark turn because I started finding a bunch of videos of dead pets named Sally. What the fuck? What are you doing this for? <laughs> Look at this video. What? What? No. <laughs> it's just a video of a dead. <laughs> it's a video of a dead budgie in a shoebox. I'm not opening that video. I can see the preview. With like, <laughs> there's just like this beautiful sad music over top. Oh. And it's just a budgie <laughs> in a in a box. <laughs> hey guys, this video is about my pet budgies. And you guys see the video of me with my budgies holding them, petting them, whatever. But on August 12th, 2016, my pet budgie Tommy died. And it was truly sad to see him die. So rest in peace to... Uh, I don't get it. Why does it say my pet... Well, no, because you got to finish... Okay, t- uh, my pet budgie Tommy died. And that was and was truly sad to see him die. Oh, okay, now today before. on August 16th, Tuesday, my budge... Sally, as you can see from the title, Sally, she died on my own very hands and screaming until she closed her eyes and took a last breath and her heart stopped bedding and just died on my hands. Now they're both someone that they are safe and angels from heaven. Please give a like to support my family and my budge's death. Bye, guys. Share, like, and subscribe. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, I'm going to give that a like because I'm I'm getting yeah. pretty verklempt over here. I'll get it. I'll give it a like. Well, you'd think that that would be where I stopped. I would think, this. but maybe you think that that was rock bottom, right? But because um, it's just like straight up a video of this guy's budgie in like a Tupperware in a bag. Yeah, I know. It's just a dead ass bird. So uh, there's this boy named Jake the Snakester. Uh, and this was actually uploaded just earlier this year, January 27th, 2018. It's amassed 21 views. Okay. Um, this boy's snake, Sally, died. But he didn't just... <laughs> I don't oh even God, know how to explain this to you. It, dude. <laughs> he's, what? He's, he's posted a reaction video of himself <laughs> watching his own video of himself at his snake's funeral. So let's just hear a little bit of this, but it's mostly just fucking insane because he's in the corner watching himself. Hi. Hmm, Sally passed. I'm sorry, guys. But Sally's grave is right here. I'll just. I've been waiting. I've been waiting to tell you guys because I've been really upset lately about Sally. But Sally did die, yes. She's right under this headstone, and I got a little rock here just on top of it, just so Sally knows it's me. It's like it's it's just go, it's, so it's it's more than just Blink One Eight Two. It's 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 like a Black Mirror but podcasting, but kind of yeah. It's, yeah, it's I deep. mean we t- we talk a lot about Blink One Eight Two, and I've I promised because uh, like I'm very ironic with my sense of humor, but I promised Sam early on like I'm. I'll always be sincere when we talk about... There's a lot of, like, sincerity, too, but we pretty yeah. much are talking about everything except for Blink-182 half the time. Oh, again, the the most recent episode, for the first 15 minutes, you talked about the reboot of Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. Yeah. And had someone have put it on, had someone have just thrown it on and not not actually seen the title, you'd think it was a Queer Eye podcast. 
And then weirdly that played into the song without us even like, and that's the other thing that has made the podcast so interesting is that because Blink-192 have existed for so long and reinvented themselves so many times, they are like, they're just kind of everything. Like they, they represent all of alternative music of the last 25 years. So there's pretty much everything to talk about. We can talk about local punk shows we can talk about the people who are too cool for blink 182 we can talk about mall punk like it's kind of it it consumes everything and so it's yeah it's it's really proven to be very interesting to just see where each song takes us (laughs) okay so a couple of quick questions and just first response best response as uh jay feldy and um jerry finn co-coined Maybe um, it was the spirit of Jerry Finn haunting Feldy. Haunting Feldy, yeah. So, top three Blink albums? <sighs> I guess I'll say Dude Ranch, uh, Anima, and Self-Titled. Okay, Self-Titled. Yeah, I think so. Like, right, yeah, fantastic. Okay. If someone was to, if you were to point someone to listen to your podcast, what episode would you pick? Uh, I think that you've I would- done, obviously. Like there's a lot of episodes that are kind of up their own ass, like like any podcast, and it's I think it's more rewarding if you've heard it all. Like I mean, if you want to know who Bill Billingsley is, you have to listen to multiple episodes, oh. and I think that will yeah. pay off. But if you just want to get into it, I would say maybe My Pet Sally or Rabbit Hole. Like I think the last two episodes have been very self-contained and haven't had so much bullshit. <laughs> but yeah. the bullshit is kind of the fun part too, because very quickly Bill Billingsley is a man in his 50s in california who's obsessed with us and literally stalking us online now and we've had him on the show before as well and as well as who else does he stalk (laughs) yeah he's yeah uh, sorry you're right he stalks us but he also goes to like tom DeLong's place of work like once a week to to stare through the window and see if he can see tom at his desk and then he met tom at a book signing wearing a blink 155 t-shirt so we've actually just printed t-shirts with him meeting tom wearing the t-shirt that's so insane it's so fucking <laughs> insane okay so and the last question <clears throat> what uh what's the song you're most looking forward to reviewing actually no that's the second last question what's the song you're most looking forward to reviewing <sighs> oh, sorry critiquing yeah um, or dissecting even that's a good question to be honest with you i feel the opposite I, ones like my pet sally are the ones that I like the most because they're so surprising when the bar is set really low, then we can find really interesting things. Whereas I get really stressed out about the hits, like um, the, all the small things episode. That's the only hit that we've done so far. And I did it by that myself. Was, that was, um, that was amazing. <laughs> yeah, like, and a- I, I throw that, I throw that word around way too much, <laughs> but like that's, and that's definitely not the episode you should start on because no, no, it just won't make sense. It's but, too fucked. Yeah, but like, yeah. That, that, yeah, Sam was away and he thought it'd be funny. We both thought it'd be funny if I did their biggest hit by myself and it was funny, but it was like, I literally didn't sleep for three days because I'm so committed to finding all the information I can online. And there's just too much with that song. Whereas with my pet Sally, there's like no information. So then you find out about the, the janitor at the high school or whatever. That was, that was also insane. Yeah. Yeah. So it's better when there's like less info because then you can really find some weird shit, but but just like I'm really worried about even like damn it or what's my age again because I'm going to have to like spend a month researching it because I got to find the weird stuff, you know? Yeah, it's it's no fun finding. I mean, look, it is fun finding 
weird Euro pop punk bands covering and and making trying to make their Blink One Eight Two covers better than the original. But um, the weird stuff's where the where the hits are at. <laughs> yeah. So actually, this is a little sub question because I think she's brought it up. Did um Sally the janitor from their high school bit friend you on Facebook? Like, did you no, actually? No, not yet. I did. Right. I clicked add friend, but that's one that I don't want to touch because I don't want to be the one to tell her. Dude, well, there, there's yeah. a big reveal. We won't give that away, but in the episode no, you'll learn not. there's there's some shit about this lady that she Tom's been Tom's been uh, what's the word? It's like a white lie. He's protecting her from the truth about how how mean they've been to her. Yes, yes, <laughs> he definitely yeah he definitely he manages it well. But yeah, he was it was a bit mean. <laughs> um, so the last episode is going to be damn it. Yeah. Um. What do you, how do you see it going down? Like, are you going to do the 24 hour Twitch stream or do you think technology is going to be, have evolved further where? <laughs> yeah, because it's like, like a, a, this like is a, a second, this, sorry, is a, this is a three and a half year project, which I guess we didn't explicitly say, but like we're doing one song a week, 155 songs, or maybe I'm bad at math. No, it's a three year project. So, yeah, yeah. so it really is like, who knows what the world will look like when we're done? Who knows what, uh, if we'll even be alive or what. But I think probably, assuming everything goes to plan, we'll probably do like a live show somewhere for the last episode. I would assume Toronto, but we'll see. Just give me, once you've booked it in, give me a heads up because yeah. I have to be there. <laughs> yeah. Because then after that, like then after that we can we can set off the nukes because it doesn't matter after that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like we can just hit, hit the reset button on Earth. I was even by now. I was expecting both of us to really like resent this project, but I think it's pretty much both of our favorite things that we're doing right now. So I don't know. There's it's one of those things like how do you describe a picture kind of thing? Like you just go look at it. Don't describe it. Just go look at it. Just go listen to the Blink One Five Five podcast. Like it's um yeah. And I'm really again I'm a I'm a massive fan of it, and I really look forward to the next you know 120 something episodes. Yeah. Well, and I guess it's also worth plugging that we do also do bonus episodes for people who are willing to give us money on Patreon. Yeah. Yeah. The Sclusies. So, so okay, was Sclusies coined by um Sam, or did he steal that from someone? Because it's there are there are a few things that you guys say. <laughs> That's that we're like, so punchable. We say the most frustrating oh. abbreviations of words that make us just... I think what it is is, like, once Sam gets something in his head, he doesn't let it go. So, like, I think I yeah. might have said Sclusies first. Just, like, I would have just said it, you know, a couple times. But now it's, like, yeah. it's cemented in Sam's mind that instead of saying exclusives, we say Sclusies. Sclusies. And we've, like, gotten yeah. actual complaints about it. that we say, But then people complaining about us saying it, we got to say it even more. Yeah. It's really... Just uh, to- yeah. So the other thing that the other thing that I used, um, I stole this just to see if it worked. You, I can't think of the episode, but you, there was an episode where you talked about Fugazi for some reason, right? Um, and Sam said it as Fugazi. Yeah. So at band prac one night, or the band I play as a you know, not as a dumb joke, but just as like something different. We we covered um, we covered waiting room because, you know. Like it's it's the equivalent of covering covering smells like Teen Spirit, right? Like it's like why would you do that? But or we damn thought, it. well, we're at, yeah, or damn it. But we thought we're at the point now where, like, we've gone full circle with it. So we are going to cover this. We're not trying to be cool. We're going yeah. to cover a song that we really like. And I said, I said like, um, we were talking about it, and I threw in the conversation, "Fuggers Eye," and we're a five piece. And two of the members stopped and went. <laughs> 
have I been saying it wrong all these years? I called them Fugazi. <laughs> and I was like, well, you don't call them Fugazi? And they're like, no, no. We, I, and and we, they had a moment where they questioned themselves because yeah. of something dumb that Sam said on the Blink-155 <laughs> podcast. It's fucked. So, it's also crazy because like that happens to me because I'm a writer mostly. So there's words like outlier that I've never said out loud. So on the podcast, I said outlier. Because I had read yeah. it as, and then Sam just made fun of like, there's just weird things where you talk this much out loud, and other people listen to it. You start to notice fucked up things about your speech patterns, or how you're willing to beat a joke to death for months at a time, <laughs> or for years in some cases. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's so good. <laughs> hey, um, I really appreciate you doing this. I'm, yeah, like it's I, fun. Like I'm, I don't know what. Like I'm looking for that's the 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 last the damn it episode is going to be the biggest double edged sword because like it's going to be the it's going to be the big finale but also like I hope you guys have got another thing in the pipe like where maybe you you mentioned it yesterday like on the like most recent podcast you can maybe go back and do it <laughs> just analyze. start all over again yeah start all over <laughs> again but like. On your episodes, not on the songs, but on your episodes. Right. So oh, us so, doing, yeah, that would be cool if we so, did that. Yeah, you go back and do like the <laughs> the Blink 155, Blink 155 podcast oh or something. Oh my God, that'd um, be crazy. Because I don't want it to end. I know. Like, I mean, it's, it's it feels a little early to be worried about that at this point. <laughs> no, no, there's, we've, still got a, we've still got a fantastic journey ahead of us. And <laughs> yeah. I'm really excited about that. Exactly. So look... Thank you so much, Josiah, for um, spending the time. Um, is there anything you want to plug before we wrap it up? Uh, I guess, well, yeah, why not, right? This is pretty fucking self-indulgent. May as well. Yeah, go for uh, it. You can follow me on Twitter if you want. Josiah Hughes is my Twitter handle. Um, and keep an eye on my band Prenup because we have a new album coming out uh, in May. So I'm going to be Fantastic. posting some shit from that this week. And it's pretty similar, I think, to this Go Team song we're about to hear. So, Awesome. And Blink Five Five podcasts, just throw it into Google and it'll come up. Yeah, you can follow us on Twitter, Blink One Five Five Pod, Instagram. I don't know the the. Sometimes it has Pod at the end of the handle. Sometimes it does, I can't remember, but you'll you'll find it if you search Blink One One Fifty Five, and that comes out every Friday. Or I don't know what time it comes out in Australia. Like it's Saturday. Yeah, it's it comes Saturday out, out here. The, the following year. Yeah, yeah, like a year and a half. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's why you're worried about the podcast uh, ending. Cause you're, yeah. <laughs> you're from the future. I am from the future, and I'm not. I'm scared. I'm scared <laughs> and excited, but mainly scared. Yeah. <laughs> so let's wrap it up. Um, again, thank you so much. The yeah. Go Team with Blowtorch.
All right. I told you it was mad. Did I tell you it was mad? Because I think it was mad. Um, I'll tell you what else was mad. I got halfway through editing the episode this, this afternoon and then had a brain fart, shut down GarageBand and didn't save it. So that was sick. That was awesome. I highly recommend people doing that. Um, thank you to Nicole and Cody for letting me do this. Again, Nicole never listens to this. We had a rather amusing conversation last night again with some friends uh, who, and she's, yeah, it was, you know, I guess you had to be there. But you weren't, so take my word on it, the fact that it was kind of amusing. Uh, what else is there? Listen to the Blink-155 podcast. Listen to the hi Fives podcast. Listen to Oblivious Maximus. Listen to Just the Worst. Pick up your... Pick up anyone's phone. Ask them for the password. Obviously not anyone. Make sure you know them well enough that they'll be cool with you looking at their phone for a few minutes. Uh, if they've got an iPhone... Open up the podcast app, search for any of those podcasts, hit subscribe, and uh, let the magic take over their their ears. Um, yeah, I guess. Uh, follow us on the socials, My Age Podcast on Instagram and uh, Facebook and whatnot, whatever. You don't have to. Um, it's more of just an ego boost for me to, you know, but whatever. It's an ego boost for anyone. I think that's how they've created isn't it just little drops of dopamine or whatever that thing is that gets you excited um anyhow i'm rambling now thank you very much uh we'll see you in a few weeks and with more episodes cool everybody knows everybody knows that's how it
the beach in Malibu Everybody knows it's coming apart Take one last look at this sacred heart Before it blows And everybody knows Everybody knows Everybody knows That's how it goes Everybody knows Everybody knows I know that's how it goes.